You are entering the Freedom Hut. Is the World Health Organization in the Chinese government's pocket? How to restart the economy? A roadmap to reopening that I will work you through. Plus, the IHME numbers are wrong again. Are we allowed to ask these questions yet? And Bernie Sanders suspends his presidential campaign. Trump doesn't want mail-in ballots. We got that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Are you cooperating with China? uh, Who are you working for, China? You work for China or are you with a newspaper? Who are you with? Hong Kong Phoenix TV. Who owns that, China? Is it owned by China? No, is it owned by the state? No, it's not. It's a private-owned company. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, Look. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Turns out that President Trump was uh, spot on there. He was correct. There uh, there is Chinese government ownership of that uh, journalist's Phoenix TV in Hong Kong. So we, we now have Chinese government propaganda in the uh, White House West Wing trying to carry water for the Chinese Communist Party, trying to do what is possible to put the blame away from China and onto the U.S. And as we know, our own media tends to go along with this. Our, Our media, our corporate media is rooting for the Chinese Communist Party over the Trump administration. That's where we are right now. No surprise to anybody, but that's just the truth. ABC News today, Wuhan, this is ABC News from their official account, millions and millions of followers. Wuhan, the city where the coronavirus outbreak began, celebrates lifting travel restrictions with a light show. By the way, did I welcome everybody to the Buck Sexton Show? I think I skipped. I was so excited to talk to all of you. I think I skipped right past that, so apologies. Anyway, back to ABC News, propagandists, leftists, not helping America. Yeah, that's right. They're showing the the light show in Wuhan to celebrate destroy uh, d- uh, defeating the virus in that city. Does anyone really think that China has figured this out? That China has managed to eradicate this virus? We're having public health officials. You had uh, uh, Doctor Emanuel, who's Rahm Emanuel's. No, no, he's Ari Emanuel's brother, not Rahm Emanuel's brother. Or is it Rahm Emanuel's brother? I can't remember. Uh, but Dr. Emanuel, Zeke Emanuel, uh, saying that we might be under lockdown for 18 months. I'll get to that. We, we do have, there is a roadmap, AEI, the American Enterprise Institute published it. And it's lining up with everything I'm seeing from the administration. I read this policy uh, proposal inside of this, from this think tank. And we'll get to that later on in the show. It does have a step-by-step. It does have some metrics. It's useful. And speaking of metrics, we'll also talk about the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, the, uh, the one place that's putting out these numbers, that Washington University, this is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, the numbers are, are way off once again. Now, the numbers are way off, but there's still way too many people, far too many people dying right now. It is a massive tragedy here in New York and in other parts of the country, they're losing far too many lives as well. That, that is established, that is a fact, we know that, but we also need to be 
making policy decisions, if we're using numbers and metrics, the numbers and metrics have to be accurate. So uh, I'm talking about projections, I'm not talking about the, the death toll, although there is a discussion also about how we're counting COVID deaths. That's be that's become now a much more fierce debate than I think many people would have anticipated. That will also come up later on today in the show. But I, I want to focus more on China for for a moment here and the World Health Organization and the our own corporate media, as we know, is conflicted. They don't think of it this way. They won't admit to this. But you look at who who is really fast to take the side of the Chinese government, to take the word of the Chinese government in this whole process. And, and remember, my friends, we have now th this virus, uh, this horrific pandemic is also a historic inflection point, a, an inflection point in the conflict between the United States, our Western way of life and our role in the world and China. I think that's becoming abundantly clear to most people who look at these things. We are now in a new era of U.S.-China competition. The, oh, they're going to make all of our goods, get rich, send us cheap TVs, and they'll just buy a bunch of our debt and everything will be fine. That's going away. That's not going to be here anymore. And guess what's going to replace it? much more open and much more aggressive competition in every arena, political, economic, cultural, you name it. There's going to be a battle for influence between the United States and China. Now, now it's going to be a little bit of time before all of that really ramps up, because right now we're all so focused on the virus. But notice how the Chinese are clearly the Chinese Communist Party. And, and by the way, I'm going to use those terms generally interchangeably just know that I'm not talking about one billion people who are just trying to go about their lives like everybody else I'm not so when I say the Chinese are I'm talking about the Chinese regime the Chinese government okay so we can establish that so you know media matters go go harass some other conservative all right I'm establishing that for the record when I refer to China I'm talking about the government okay good now that we've done that the Chinese are causing a lot of problems right now for us they're lying about this they're uh, their propagandists are, are somewhat reminiscent of, if you recall, that uh, what was the, they used to call him that guy Baghdad Bob, who was the I think it was the ministry uh, minister of foreign affairs, who was saying that there was no America. This is back in the Persian. Uh, was it the first, the second? Per no, it was the first Persian Gulf War. There was nothing happening here, and there were bombs going off in the background behind him on TV. But you know, oh, the Americans aren't going to do anything, and we'll beat them. And the Chinese propaganda right now, the efforts that we see online, seem laughable to you and to me but meanwhile the corporate media that you would think china is a massive human rights abuser uh is is more successful in suppressing freedom of the press than any other regime in the world is more aggressive about it i think there might be more technically i don't know turkey jails a lot of journalists per capita but i mean china there is no freedom of the press in China. In fact, the concept from when I was in China a year ago talking to academics and business leaders there who were willing to speak to Americans pretty openly, the concept of, of individual freedom is very different there. It's not even clear that it exists in some ways. Certainly, freedom of expression, no, that's not a thing that 
there's a huge movement toward. You don't hear about that. And keep in mind, this is a country that we have a very, our understanding of Chinese intentions, our understanding of what their long game is in this country is minimal. Remember when after 9-11, people were running around saying, hold on a second, you mean the U.S. government has like a handful of highly cleared Arabic speakers? This is the best we can do when we're going to war with al-Qaeda? Yeah, that was the best that we we had to ramp up and do all. Our, our knowledge of China is just, it's poor, my friends. I'll tell you, it's not good because there are, it's a very hard target for collection. They operate an authoritarian regime. They're, they're technologically very sophisticated. They don't have any, you know, we've got you know, lawyers and civil rights groups and all these things that keep the, at least somewhat keep the intelligence community and law enforcement authorities in check. Uh, and also we have this whole, you know, Molon Labe, don't tread on me, Second Amendment. Uh, the, the Chinese have been able to lock down. They've got the Great Firewall of China. They lock down information. And yet journalists in this country seem to have so much less hostility toward the Chinese government than they do to America. Now, why is that to the American government, right? It, it's because if you look at this, I really believe that they understand that a lot of their constituents, a lot of their, I shouldn't say constituents, wrong word, audience, a lot of the media's, although, you know, depends, a lot of their audience is psychotically anti-Trump. We know that. So bashing the U.S. government as long as Trump is the president, that's, that's good for business. But what's bad for business is having any sort of uh, Chinese campaign against them. What's bad for business is when the Chinese government decides your reporters aren't allowed to be here. Remember, they expelled Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and I think Washington Post reporters a few weeks ago. Not a lot of, uh, not a lot of talk about it. And it's because the media, the the conglomerates, the companies, the corporations that own these media outlets are very conflicted. You know, they want. They want access to the Chinese market, right? If you're if you're a a company that let, let you know you look at NBC Universal. I mean, if you're a news organization within one of these major corporations that has a lot of business interests in China, wants access to the Chinese market, you're you're in the pocket of the Chinese authorities in some way. This is why it was such a wake up call with the NBA when you have incredibly famous multi-millionaire basketball players who are like, oh, no, I don't want to. I'm not going to criticize China. We, we got to we make a lot of money selling merchandise there. And, you know, Chinese uh, Chinese playing NBA, you know, TV rights and everything else that can't do that. And a lot of people were that was that was a wake up call for America. I know it seemed like a relatively minor issue at the time to some people, but I do think that it was a, a harbinger of things to come. We are. This was true in the Cold War, too. There were people who were useful idiots for the Soviets. There were news organizations that were far too favorable in this country toward the Soviet Union. We know about Walter Durante and lying about the Holodomor, which was the Holocaust, the intentional starvation of a few million Ukrainians uh, from the, back in the 1930s. So these 
th this uh, problem of not being able to trust our own media when there's a major opponent out there that has either ideological or financial influence on media here. We've been there before. That's where we are with China now. But that's where I want, I want to direct our attention now. So we are, this virus has kicked off what is going to be a new global competition with China where we realize that they think that this is zero sum and winner take all. Now, we can either rise to that or we can pretend that there can be a, a completely mutually beneficial relationship with a totalitarian, human rights abusing, internment camp using Chinese Communist Party, right? Uh, or we can understand, we, we can understand that this is just going to be a new version of a Cold War, a Cold War in the 20th century for global domination. That's where we're heading. And that then makes me want to talk about the World Health Organization and what we've seen them, uh, what we've seen them doing in this whole process. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So you have a World Health very China-centric, as I say, very, very, basically everything was very positive for China. Don't close your borders. They told me that, I mean, they strongly recommended, they're not telling me, but they strongly recommended that we not close our borders. That would have been a disaster. It would have been a total disaster. And, and literally, they called every shot wrong. Uh, they didn't want to say where it came from. Look, uh, we spend, for many years, we've been funding the world, as we say, WHO, the World Health Organization. And for for years, we funded them, and, and it's probably spending at least $58 million a year, but it's much more than that because then we fund some of the work they do, which is some good work. But we're going to look at it now because every I think every step that they made, everything that they said was wrong. So far, that certainly seems to be the case, doesn't it? The WHO, the WHO, the World Health Organization. It's been around since 1948. It's really the body within the UN, uh, within the UN mandate that tries to deal with global pandemics, disease. And they've done some very, they've done some very good work. If you look at their history on smallpox, on malaria, uh, diseases that are still around, malaria just ravages the world year in and year out. And because it's really a disease of of the tropics and of poorer areas within the tropics, it doesn't get nearly the attention that that other maladies do. But malaria has been around for a very long time and has killed probably more human beings than almost any other disease that is out there. Uh, I mean, they've, they've been able to go back, I think, and look at fossils even. And malaria has been around for as long as human beings have been around. But this World Health Director, Dr. Tedros, that's how you hear, hear him referred to. Dr. Tedros, his name is Tedros Adenom Ghebreyesus. I think I got that right. Not an easy name to say. But Dr. Tedros, we can say that. We can certainly get that one correct. Uh, he was a, an obscure public health official in Ethiopia. And he is now running the World Health Organization, which at critical junctures, and we will walk through some of those together today, at critical junctures, said exactly the wrong thing, gave us exactly, I mean the whole world, gave the whole world the wrong advice, and seemed to be doing China's bidding, was at least far too favorable to the Communist Chinese Party. Far too favorable. No question. 
And now we're looking at this. The president's saying he's actually saying we're looking at this uh, about the funding issue. We give twice as much money, twice as much of the funding for the World Health Organization comes from the U.S. as comes from China. And yet it seems like Dr. Tedros is having the WHO uh, act as a Chinese Communist Party propaganda organ which is very concerning when you think about China's role in all of this. And, you know, people are angry at China and they should be. People are upset at the Chinese government and they should be because their their paranoia about power comes from the fact that their hold, their government position is only rooted in force and fear. Ultimately, there is no underlying will of the people. There's no rule of law. It's just a thugocracy. And the notion that the Chinese government wasn't able to protect its people, even with the lockdown that it has, even with all of the different trade-offs that people have to accept to live in that country, that they couldn't protect them from this disease, that they didn't have the foresight to shut down animal markets where they're selling, you know, kangaroos and pangolins and tigers and bears, oh my, the fact that the Chinese Communist Party wouldn't do that and then tried to cover it up because their incompetence was a threat to their power and put all of us, you and me listening to this, we right now, every day, are in jeopardy of severe physical harm. Our economy is dropping like a stone out of the sky because of the decisions made by the corrupt, authoritarian, and disgraceful Chinese Communist Party. That is where we are now as a country. That is where we are as a world. This could have been a very different thing. There are thousands and thousands of lives. The people who are saying, let me just make sure, I want to establish a a very clear test here. I want to establish a baseline. Any person you hear who says that Donald Trump has blood on his hands for the coronavirus response, for the Wuhan virus response, any person who says that, who has not already said and is not willing to say now that the Chinese Communist Party has so much blood on their hands is a hack who is speaking in a way that betrays their country, is a hack who is doing the bidding of the Chinese. That's right. Remember how they used to say that Trump was always doing Russia's bidding? If you say that Trump is at fault for death from this response, which I I would argue that that's a fair thing to say, and there was going to be death, it's a question of how much death we're hit with a virus, but let's put that aside for a moment. If you're going to say that Trump has blood on his hands, you better be saying that there's exponentially more blood on the hands of the Chinese Communist Party and they must be held accountable for that or else you aren't principled and all you care about is attacking Trump, even even at the cost of undermining your own country in what is the most difficult situation it has seen since the Second World War. And that's that is where we are. So we should understand that right now. Anyone you see that says Trump has blood on his hands. I want to know. Susan Rice said that there's blood on Trump's hands. Has she said that there's blood on the Chinese Communist Party's hands? I'm going to bet the answer is no. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I would imagine you you don't want to step into this controversy that the president apparently has created where he's blasted the WHO. Does he have a point for blaming them for what he says for spreading the virus? Does he have a point? 
the WHO can only react to the data it's given. And when you go back and look at the timeline, it wasn't until I think almost the middle of January that it was that China reported that there was human to human transmission. We have to really investigate reporting and how the reports were received there. I think it did delay the ability to declare this a global pandemic and emergency. We can do all of that when we get through this as a global community to really understand how to do this better the next time. That's Dr. Deborah Burks saying as gently as she can without starting a and you know for her purposes we want cooperation with medical personnel with doctors sharing information sharing experiences fighting this covid virus uh so i i I get why she takes that position you know i'm here i can breathe fire on this issue she needs to she's got a different mandate and a whole bunch more responsibility so i respect that but what she's telling you is exactly what i'm saying just sounds a little bit different which is that, yeah, I mean, the World Health Organization, they only work with the data they brought in. But uh, we, we, this would have been very, very different if we had known that this was something that could be so difficult to treat that when people get very sick, they can crash extremely quickly. The doctors here in New York that I'm talking to say one minute someone seems like they're going to be one of the lucky ones who comes to the, comes to the hospital but isn't really in very bad shape and then all of a sudden they're just lung function is just collapsing and it's really bad news and it's a fight just to keep them alive for hours uh if we had known that that would have really changed a lot wouldn't it that would have really changed a lot of our our preparations because i'm going to talk to you probably in the next hour about the plan to reopen and there there's becoming I, i think there's there's starting to be a little bit more of an understanding of what reopening looks like it's phased, it's slow, it's step by step. It is walk, not it is not even walk, not run. It is crawl before you walk, before you run. That's the way the reopening is is going to function. And it's going to be state by state, city by city. I read the whole this is all I do is read about coronavirus. Then I get to talk to you wonderful folks. You, you, you are you've always been the highlight of my day, team. But uh, you're really the only part of my day that doesn't involve basic life support functions now or, or research. Deborah Burks is saying that the World Health Organization clearly did not do what it needed to do here by by sounding the alarm for the world and that they just accepted the Chinese uh, claim that there was no human to human transmission. This was in middle of middle of January. It's not that was not a good faith error that they made. And part of the problem here and you see this with the U.N. Remember, the World Health Organization is really it's you know, it's a U.N. body. Uh, they they just these are bureaucratic institutions that treat all countries, all nation states are kind of, you know, kind of equal, kind of as likely to lie as the other. You know, one thing I learned at the CIA is really interesting, really worthwhile, and it's informed my my worldview. Governments lie all the time. All right. Governments are full of lies, full of liars. And the more corrupt the government, the more lies it tells. They tell so many lies, they can't even keep track of them. They're lying to other people within the government. They're lying to their, uh, the, the citizens of the country. They'll lie to the military. The military will lie to the government. I mean, it's just lies, lies, lies everywhere. That's the way a lot of government functions. Now, our government, you know, sometimes, yeah, our government lies sometimes. Not nearly as much as the Chinese government, though. You know, this is where we don't want to fall into a truth relativism where people, well, you know, everybody lies. Everybody does bad things. No, the Chinese government is 
a dishonest enterprise, a fundamentally dishonest enterprise. And so that should at least that should have rung some alarm bells, you would think, over at World Health Organization headquarters when they're saying there's no spread of this. When that first doctor came out and said this is somewhat like SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome, which came out uh, with a there were infections. I think it was in 2003 or 2004. We, we did look, my friends, we unfortunately the world got warnings about a respiratory disease like this, and we just didn't do enough. We did get warnings, didn't do enough. If you want, I mean, may, I wish I had the time to do this. Go back when it was, I think, uh, you know, early fall, and someone said, what scares me? And I said, pandemic disease. This has been known. Anyone who's really, who's a, who's a reader, I guess, doesn't have to be an expert in anything. Just anyone who reads a lot knows that if you're worried about scary things, it's not an asteroid hitting the Earth. It sure as heck isn't climate change. It was this. This was the big this was the big thing that was always looming in the background, the catastrophe that was inevitable on a long enough timeline. People didn't want to didn't want to deal with it, didn't want to hear it. You know, I I remember seeing people for years, particularly people who are either Asian or or, uh, people who are visiting from from Asia, Asian tourists in this country uh, with masks on. And we were all like, what's with the masks? Now we know. Now we know we had to learn the hard way, though. We had to learn the hard way that walls work. We had to learn the hard way that masks work. These are some pretty straightforward things that I wish we could just figure out. But why would the World Health Organization be doing China's bidding on this? And I've already told you, our our media, the the two reasons why our media are more pro-CCP than USA is they, Trump is, they view Trump as the government. So any... Uh, any belief they have or any, any stories they could run that, you know, the government lies, the government's incompetent uh, th- th- at the federal level. That's on Trump. So they love that. And also they have financial interests in having access not just to Chinese markets, but their corporate sponsors. And you know, the Chinese are very aggressive about taking economic they'll wage economic warfare against companies. They'll say, OK, you know, you're out. You, you don't get you don't get access. This is why Hollywood edits movies, changes storylines because they don't want to get you know, they don't want to upset the Chinese. Oh, you mean the great creatives that speak truth, the power of Hollywood there? Whatever happened to all their artistic integrity? Them are the biggest frauds in the world. <sighs> but here we have Dr. Tedros. I was telling you about him before he. Uh, is was an Ethiopian uh, health minister, I believe, was his job beforehand. And then there was a lot of push that shows, one, Chinese do- uh, donations to Ethiopia. Yeah, where Tedros was health and foreign minister. A lot of Chinese money going into Ethiopia. Hmm, interesting. Probably buying some goodwill. And the leadership position that Tedros is in now won the ballot by 133 votes to 50 votes for the World Health Organization, the first African leader of the World Health Organization. Uh, He went on to have some controversy because he recommended African dictator now deceased Robert Mugabe as a World Health Organization goodwill ambassador. A goodwill ambassador. Yeah, that's right. Dr. Tedros thought a guy nicknamed the crocodile for being sly and eating his opponents. 
That guy was going to be a goodwill ambassador to the world for, for global disease. A man who turned Zimbabwe from the breadbasket of Southern Africa, incredible farmland, incredible natural resources, who impoverished that country and effectively erased, not just hyperinflation, erased the currency. They're, they're, the currency doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, that guy was going to be a goodwill ambassador with Dr. Tedros pushing for it. Does anyone think this guy has good judgment? And this is the man who's supposed to be coordinating the global response. He's the Dr. Fauci of the U.N., if you will. He's the one who's supposed to be sounding the alarm to prevent this. Think of the responsibility. Think of all the people right now who are in hospital wards all across this country. I mean, yes, New York getting hit really badly, but New Orleans hit really badly. Um, and it's just, you know, heartbreaking. I, I love New Orleans. I love the people. And look, I love the people of every state in this country. But, you know, New Jersey hit really badly. And New Jersey, I'm a New Yorker. New Jersey's like my little brother that only I'm allowed to make fun of. But I love New Jersey. I love New Jerseyans. You know, and we, we have all this pain, all this suffering going on in our hospitals right now. And... You, you have to take a moment to stop and say, hold, hold on a second. You mean that a lot of this could have been avoided? You mean that I don't have I wouldn't have to have every person that I know in New York living under lockdown and in fear of contracting a disease that could very well hospitalize and or kill them if the Chinese Communist Party and some global bureaucrats just were able to do what was necessary earlier on, sound the alarm, take take measures to get the word out. Think of also right now, we're looking at all across the board. The timing here matters so much. We're, we're so concerned about therapeutics. Okay, well, I'm, I'm hearing that we're going to have more information in the next few weeks, and we're learning more about what, what drug cocktail may work to at least suppress the virus, what's going to work to deal with the inflammation in the lungs, this ARDS that's brutal, the cytokine storm that comes in that causes the overreaction in your immune system that is just devastating to the body, creates tremendous inflammation, even creates cardiac problems now. That's the latest information uh, that you're seeing from people who have COVID-19. And we might have had much more time. We might have had a two-month head start, not just in preparations for masks and everything else, but think about it this way. If, if in the next six to eight weeks, we develop a, and this would be the answer to a prayer, if we develop a therapeutic that is really a, a serious weapon, not a cure, but a serious weapon against this disease, well, we could have developed that. We could have been starting that research at least two months earlier. How many, how many people have died in the interim? Chinese Communist Party doesn't care. It all that matters is that they stay in charge, that their power is locked in. And Dr. Tedros was willing to believe them a little too easily. Why do we have the World Health Organization if not to warn us about this? Why does the World Health Organization even really exist? Yeah, okay, they, they distribute malaria medicine and stuff like that. Any number of international NGOs can do that. The U.S. government can do that. I mean, the U.S. government, no one ever, no one ever gives us a thank you for this, but I'm just going to say, and it was George W. Bush, who I'm giving a little special shout out to for this, because while people were calling him a war criminal, and everything else, George W. Bush saved, and anyone who knows public global health issues will, will tell you this is true, George W. Bush saved millions and millions of African lives with anti-HIV measures that the U.S. government was funding and taking in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. 
And that's something that you, you don't hear very much about. That's absolutely true. Millions of lives saved by the United States government by George W. Bush in Africa. And, you know, HIV, when it progresses to full blown AIDS, as we know, it's a horrible disease. Uh, you get incredibly painful is just the worst, the worst millions of human beings saved from that. God bless that effort. And God bless all those folks who were able to live long and, and healthy lives as a result of those efforts. You know, World Health, World Health Organization, where, where are they on this? And why should we why should we think that it's not it's not right to ask questions about, you know, this doctor, this doctor Tedros, who I mean, do you, do you really do you think the Ethiopian government's corrupt? I got news for you. Ethiopian government's very corrupt. OK, a lot, you go you leave uh, the the countries of the first world. I mean, you, you leave, you know, America, Canada, Europe, Australia, Japan, South Korea. You know, you leave. And you go into a lot of other regions of the world and corruption is everywhere, everywhere, all across the Middle East, all across the former Soviet Union, you know. And the headline to the Daily Mail, China's Doctor Who. I think that says a lot. This was a huge miss. Those of us who are critics of international institutions like the United Nations point to this and say, Maybe we shouldn't be told how much we have to listen to to these so-called experts. And maybe it's time to recognize that an an America first policy should also apply to our view of how much we can trust international institutions that think that America and China are in any way on a similar moral plane. Let me just say it, whether it's Donald Trump as president or Barack Obama as president, or if it turns out to be Joe Biden as president, our government with any of those leaders is orders of magnitude more decent, more trustworthy, and better than the thugs who run the Chinese Communist Party, including Xi Jinping. That's just reality. I wish our media would pick up on that, and I wish our international institutions would reflect that, but that's, that's never going to happen. Never going to happen, folks. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I think certain parts of the economy you're going to see come back immediately. Certain things are going to take a little bit longer. But uh, I have every expectation that we will kill this virus soon. And when we do that, you're going to see a very big bounce back. As I've said, the economy has slowed down because we've closed down this economy. And when we reopen it, I expect that you're going to see a very strong rebound later this year. I like the optimism from Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. The uh, rebound that comes later this year would be that'll be an amazing thing. I mean, just a return to to normalcy. I, I want to talk to you about this this road. It, they're calling it a roadmap to reopening, and it's an AEI publication that I read, uh, took some notes on, and, and we'll share with you here so we understand when we talk about reopening, because there's a lot of bad faith. You, you just want grandma to die. You know, there's a lot of shrill. Look, everyone's under stress right now. Everyone's tense, at least in major cities. I can't speak to if you live out, you know, out on the land and off the grid and have access to well water and plenty of wild game and have some of your anyway, that's that you're in a different situation then. But for for those of us who are in cities, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of fear. And one of the problems is that whenever there's a discussion, whenever they try to get a discussion going about reopening, people say if we reopen tomorrow, 
there'll be a huge surge in death and all these terrible things will happen. Is this, well, hold on a second. Reopen doesn't mean all of a sudden we're all jammed into subway cars everywhere. We all go back to work. We all, you know, take the forget about the social distancing, forget about the personal protective equipment that we have now with masks, including homemade masks and, and these different mitigation measures. Right. That's the key word. The mitigation measures would continue and, it, and you would gauge day to day, week to week. How are we doing? How much more can we do? That's where this needs to head. And that that is the plan. There are some people who want to talk about 18 months lockdown. No, that cannot be the plan. That cannot be. That's not realistic. That's not possible. That's not desirable. So, okay, since we know that that's not the plan, the 18 month straight lockdown. Think about this. We could lock down for 18 months and we're told, oh, yeah, sorry. Turns out the vaccine doesn't work. I mean, then you'd have true anarchy and people would completely lose their. But then we're not even going to get there. Let's talk about where we are going to go. What is the roadmap to reopening? It's coming up. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're wondering where the threat to freeze funding to the WHO comes from, well, you may not be surprised to learn it is a Fox News talking point. It's also playing the blame game, scapegoating. Now, the fact is the World Health Organization is far from perfect. They were late on this. CNN called this pandemic before the WHO did. And the WHO did praise China's handling of the coronavirus when we know China was hiding what was going on. So I just want to be clear. I, I know it's going to move on to the roadmap to reopening, and we're about to get to that. But, you know, when you got a, when you got a chance to do some Don Lemon analysis, you got to go with it. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, here you have CNN's objective news anchor, not an opinion guy. Remember that. Remember that one. Oh, sort of like Jake Tapper, who retweeted George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, saying that Trump is insane. Retweeted that, that Trump is insane and that nobody will tell him, you know, no, because he's insane. But t- you know, Tapper then is like, oh, uh, retweets do not equal endorsements. Sure. We're, we're all idiots. You giant, vicious fraud. Uh, anyway, Don Lemon I will say Don Lemon's actually entertaining, entertaining to talk to. He can be a pretty he can be a pretty charming guy, but he wants to be. Uh, but Don Lemon here is saying, why are we playing the blame game? And I think the irony is a lot for us, right? Because CNN, what do they do every day? Trump is at fault. Trump has blood on his hands. Trump is slow. Trump is lying. Trump is the worst. This is what this is what they do. That's the reality of CNN's daily coronavirus coverage. But whoa, whoa, whoa. When it comes to the World Health Organization, let's not be hasty. Let's not be pointing fingers here. I think we I think we all understand that that's uh, that's not going to fly. That's not going to fly. The World Health Organization has a lot to answer for with all of this, as I've been and I've been walking you through that. And it's unacceptable that our own media wants to run interference for them. I also love how CNN called this earlier. Well, I mean, CNN's also been calling, you know, World War Three for the last four years, and that never happened. So if really your only goal in life is to scare people and tell them that Donald Trump is ruining the world, uh, you know, eventually you might get an opportunity because something bad actually happens. But I'm not going to forget all the other times they're saying, oh, this is going to be horrible. That's going to be horrible. Um, But yeah, CNN doesn't. Oh, oh, keep in mind, CNN's another one of these organizations that cannot cannot speak truthfully about about China. Not really. Not really go after the Chinese government. Um, when I was in Beijing a year ago, what was the one English language channel that I could get in my in my hotel room? CNN International. Where does CNN make so much of its money as an as an organization? 
CNN International. And if you ever watch it, by the way, you'll, you'll see that it takes this very internationalist, America's not so great, you know, America has got a lot of problems perspective. And so it plays into the uh, it plays into the narratives that our opponents on the world stage use against against this country all the time. And CNN's happy to play that game and do that because they're making money off of it. Right? They're making money off of it. It was it was amazing. The 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 clear anti-Americanism from my perspective, watching CNN International, you know, anything that comes up with Iran, we're the we're the bad guys. Oh, why did we break the deal? And why why is Iran suffering because of our mean, mean sanctions? You know, this is that's the kind of stuff that CNN International does all the time. But people in this country don't watch it. So they don't realize what a bunch of of quizzling, uh, what a bunch of quizzling anti-American cowards are really running this uh, running some of the aspects of that network right that's uh, anyway i just i love that you know let's not point fingers cnn's like whoa whoa we don't want to point fingers the world health organization hold on a second let's be civilized here folks i'm not going to call out these feckless bureaucrats who bought everything the chinese said and praise the chinese for what a good response they have oh we're not gonna not gonna you know have a problem with that it's just just disgraceful all right, now let's talk about where, where we're supposed to head now, where, what, the plan, what the plan really is, and that is to get this country back to a place where we can, where we can open up business slowly. We've got to remember this is going to be a slow process. Now, first, first a bit of good news. The rescue plan, remember the, the TARP Troubled Asset Relief Program 2008 where they shored up all the banks, made the banks take money. If you haven't seen the movie uh, Too Big to Fail, it's an HBO movie. It's, it's very entertaining, and it's a pretty good overview of some of the stuff that happened. It does leave out the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac stuff, and it doesn't talk about the Community Reinvestment Act or any of that stuff stretching back for decades. But the Wall Street greed component of it and what happened there is, is it's pretty good. It's a pretty well-done movie. Uh, Margin Call is actually also a very fun movie to watch about it's a little bit it's not it's totally fictionalized, but it's still a, a version of figuring out that the economy is about to cra- crash because of the, what the banks were doing. So if you're looking for things to watch on that, but I know right now people probably I've noticed that the watching the end of the world stuff, that was a big surge in that for a week or two. And now everyone stopped. Nobody nobody wants to watch 28 days later. Nobody wants to watch the day after tomorrow and this stuff because we're living through really tough times and we know that it's not uh, that has gone from a, a, a fascination to now we want to uh, we want to escape. We want to escape all that. But anyway, pre- the, the good news, and this is what has given them you know, the market's been going up a little bit this week. We've still we're way down from basically 30,000 level in the down. Now we're at what, 22, 23,000 today. Um, I did see the president ask that guy, did we play the oil, the, the oil question yesterday? I can't I do so much radio now that I can't remember if I just thought I said something or if I actually said a producer mark, did we play the kid that got asked about, we can do this one tomorrow. It's just kind of a fun one. One of these journos in the press room that asked about oil and the president was like, what's the price of oil? And he had no idea. No, we did not play that. Oh man. So that was, that was a great one. Uh, that was a fun one. The president is really enjoying himself. Crude is at uh, Brent crude right now is at $32 a barrel. 
um, as of today. That's that's the so if you're wondering, cause I'm, I'm bringing that up. But then again, I'm not asking the, pre- the, que- uh, the president questions about the oil price and then not knowing what the oil price is. It was kind of like a summation of journalists. Journalists in America were, were a lot of uh, a lot of English poli sci communications and psychology majors who can't math good. That's that's really what journalists are mostly made up of, which is one of the reasons why right now as we're digging into numbers and the numbers are such an important part of the news story for projections and, you know, how ventilators and masks and gear and all this stuff. uh, The the journalists, you can't count on them to have any good ideas about this because or or to, to know what questions to even ask, because journalists can't number can't math good. It's just we're not good at it. It's not not our not our uh, our strong suit. So the the positive news that I had to share with you, though, back on on the economy is that there's a lot of money that is going out now with this. And this is what brought up the troubled asset relief program in my mind that, yeah, it was a bailout, but it it worked. It wasn't perfect, but it worked. And here's what the president's saying about the Small Business Administration loan program that's out there trying to keep small businesses. Really, this is a payroll protection effort. So they're going to give money to people. And as long as you pay your employees with that money, you don't owe any money back to the government. So the government has effectively taken over as the biggest employer, uh, the biggest uh, employer of small business employees. And so the biggest employer in the world has become the biggest employer of small business employees in the world. I know it's a dizzying state of affairs, but that's where we are. Uh, Play clip 17, Mark. As you know, on Friday, we launched the Paycheck Protection Program to help small businesses keep workers on the payroll. As of today, SBA has processed over $70 billion in guaranteed loans, which is far greater than we would have ever thought at this time, I think, Steve. I don't think we ever had any number like that in mind. That will provide much-needed relief for the more than a quarter million businesses that have applied for these loans, and these numbers will continue to rise quickly, uh, again, far greater than anything we could have expected. We thank you, and we thank the thousands of employees for responding. And by the way, we're going to be going for, it looks like, a very substantial increase in the number because we'll be running out of money pretty quickly, which is a good thing in this case, not a bad thing. And uh, Steve will discuss it, but we're uh, in talks to supplement the fund and do more money. So it's, uh, that's the way it's moving. So that is buying us time. A lot of what we're seeing now is buying us time. And one of the one of the messages that I'm trying to get out is that, OK, buying time is is inherently built into that assumption is that this is temporary, that all of these measures, the lockdowns, the small business loans uh, so people can be on payroll. All of this is temporary. So now let's talk about how temporary it needs to be. What's a wise path forward? And this is where you get this national coronavirus response, a roadmap to reopening. Scott Gottlieb, who you're seeing out there, he's writing stuff all the time. He was FDA commissioner for a couple of years recently. And it goes into the step by step program. It breaks it down into uh, four phases. Okay, that's that's what they're saying here. The four phases of how we get past this, how we beat this. And it's pretty it's pretty clear. But what I like about this is that there are there are metrics in place. One of them, for example. So so phase one is what we're in right now, which is slow the spread. That's where we are. And that's where you get physical distancing, increased testing capacity, increased health care capacity, 
make sure everyone's got the PPE and start putting. Now, this gets a little bit sense surveillance systems in place. People hear that they go, huh? But this means ability to track in real time for state, local and federal authorities where there are outbreaks of this disease so that resources can be allocated properly. Um, and then ma- there's also a massive scaling of contact tracing, isolation and quarantine. Contact tracing, I just I, I look, I, I'm not an expert in that. I'm not an expert in medicine. I, I just don't see how this is really going to work. You're there's just too many people that a lot of folks are coming into contact with them in a place like New York City. They're going to do let's let's say, you know, let's say I were to get covid-19 in two months, God forbid. But and I was going about my daily routine and we had more openness and I was on the subway again. How are you even going to find I'm coming into contact with a, a couple of hundred people on the subway and all the people they've come. I just don't see how they could do realistic contact tracing under those circumstances. But that's what they're saying. So phase one is where we are right now we are in phase one of the plan right slow the spread healthcare capacity improve testing uh and essentially this is just batten down the hatches the storm is here we can't yet go on offense against the virus this is full-on defense this is the artillery artillery barrage is being fired at us duck your head down stay in the trench but it does have the triggers in place for moving to phase two that's where I want to go next. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The question is, are you saving everyone you can save? And there the answer is yes. And I take some solace in that fact. Uh, our health care system is operating when I, I don't believe we lost a single person because we couldn't provide care. That is a good thing. That's true here in New York. I think that's going to be the case in really the rest of the country. The the enormous fear that was out there. And I, I think that it, it really turned into panic. And, you know, there were some there were some moments even where Governor Cuomo, who I think has been a relatively steady hand on this issue, gave into a little bit of panic. And maybe he felt that was necessary to just ramp up, you know, better safe than sorry in the approach to gear to ventilators to all that. And I, and I understand that. I can appreciate that. But now we're seeing that the numbers keep getting revised down, revised down, revised down. Uh, the IHME, Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, the Washington University, Gates funded uh, number crunchers keep looking at this and day to day and it's just going down and down and down. Uh, and the, when I say going down, it's not just where we are now. Their projection for where we will be in the future is dropping substantially, which is great news. I mean, we're talking about now more human beings living through this than would have based on the previous projection. There is going to be discussion about how much of this is. You know, there's there's a lot the devil's in the details about a lot of things with regard to what aspects of mitigation have been the most successful, what's worked the best and where are we all this. But but back to. I'll, I'll probably get into numbers later on in this hour. Phase two, reopening state by state in this in this AEI published plan. Uh, they they talk about the trigger to lift physical distancing measures, and that's really it's 14 days, 14 days of of no uh, of no spike or no, 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 no new infections, no new notable infections. I believe that's what they're using as the uh, as their primary tool to figure out whether or not we should move into a period where there can actually be some lessening uh, lessening of this, right? That's, that's what I've been asking about 
all along. Here we go. Trigger to lift physical distancing measures. I'll actually read you from this report. Once the criteria for the transition from phase one to phase two have been met, we begin to move away from slow the spread period. Leaders at the state level should begin an incremental easing of physical distancing measures. This should be done gradually and should be paired with increased surveillance for new cases. State officials should make decisions about the selection and timing of restrictions to lift based on their local context. And this is what, what was I saying two weeks ago? This needs to be state and local uh, decision-making. One size fits all for the whole country. Okay, for the 30-day period, uh, fine. Maybe, and I'm going to say fine, that's where we are. That's what we're doing. But as soon as we get beyond the 30-day period, it needs to be state by state. It needs to be city by city. Trigger for returning to phase one. As physical distancing is gradually eased, surveillance will be essential. A state should revert to phase one and continue to slow the spread if a substantial number of cases cannot be uh, uh, traced back to known cases, if there's a sustained rise in new cases for five days, or if hospitals in the state are no longer able to treat patients, all patients requiring hospitalization. So remember, even here in New York, we're able to treat everyone. So one threshold that they're looking at here is if you all of a sudden can't treat all the patients you've got, and now in New York, that would have to be an enormous spike in cases. But anywhere else, that is a number that you, you have to uh, you, you, that that's a, a situation you would have to look at very, very closely. Um, so that that would mean going back to it. Now, here you go. This is the this is the part that I think is so critical. Implement case based interventions using the public health capacities in phase one. Every confirmed case should be isolated at home or in a hospital or in a local isolation facility for at least seven days. People awaiting tests should be advised to quarantine until their results are returned. The close contacts of confirmed cases should be traced and placed under home or central quarantine for at least 14 days. Diagnostics uh, tests should be immediately administered to any close contacts who develops systems. Um, so, and then they keep in place a lot of the mitigation measures, right? But this, this is how we start to get away from where we are right now. Um, this is where we get, this is how we start to move into a place where we can have people start to return to work. And part of this is also the therapeutics and the serology tests that I've talked about. This is all phase two. Who's already been infected? Who has antibodies? Who can safely be a frontline medical provider without worrying about getting the disease because they've already had the disease or been exposed to it? These are very important steps for us. I mean, here in New York, when you're talking about there being, you know, the the number of the number of cases as high as it currently is, you got to assume that based on asymptomatic spread and people with minor symptoms that there are at least a a few of, you know, two or three times, I don't know, five times, maybe more people who have been exposed to this. And so there's a there's a substantial population, at least in New York, that probably has antibodies. Well, if we have 100,000 people even in New York City who have antibodies, don't have to worry about this. That's 100,000 people that can go to work right away or could volunteer for really essential, helpful positions uh, that, you know, think about it. Your your value as an employee would be dramatic for a lot of positions if you have those antibodies. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
back to reopening the country, a roadmap for it. We're not there yet, but where will we be? And let's talk now about how we get in place to do this. This is back from this uh, AEI report. And I mentioned before the trigger for for scaling down the stay at home advisory to slow the spread is, quote, when the number of new cases reported in the state has declined steadily for 14 days, one incubation period, and the jurisdiction is able to test everyone seeking care for COVID-19 symptoms. So this is we got this panel of experts come together. This is what they're saying. So we go 14 days. Cases are declining and you can test everybody in a jurisdiction who wants a test. And this needs to be this needs to be like a rapid strep test or a, uh, a flu test. You know, these are things that I've gone through. You show up in any doctor's office and say, I think I have strep, strep throat. They don't say, well, you know, we haven't really had the uh, distribution of the kits necessary. They go, OK, here you go. Boop, boop, and they stick something in your throat, take a little swab. It's not particularly comfortable. And they see if you got strep throat, right? That's what it needs to be for COVID-19. So we need to be at that. We really need to get to that level. We're getting there pretty quickly. Um, but that's that has to happen. We need serology tests, too, uh, because I know a lot of people that are saying I've talked to people. And no, no one wants to sound you know, like they're crazy or, oh, yeah, sure, I have this, too, or I've had this, too. But I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, I, I had a horrible cough and a bizarre fever out of nowhere and in January and okay maybe it was a cold or a flu uh, usually if you have the flu you really know you got the flu but I had something and then it went away well for those people I mean right now as I've said to you let's say I had been exposed and I'm a subway riding you know elbow to elbow doing all my shopping I mean I'm a I'm a city kid right I've been I've been dealing with this my whole life and I live right in the middle of it here in New York I'm not even in the burbs you know I'm not I'm not having a, you know, chauffeured Rolls Royce or a helicopter take me to work every day. I'm right here in the middle of it. And I, I, you know, the chances that I've come into contact with this, I think, are pretty high. And that would mean for me, for anyone else, you know, okay, well, well, let's say that someone told me now I've got responsibilities. I do five hours of radio a day. So my job. But let's say that I, I was out of a job right now. And that serology test came back and said that I have antibodies in my blood. Now, we have the technology for this. So this is not a question of, oh, can we come up? We already have serology tests. It's really about making it widespread enough that we can get the information we need in a timely fashion. But let's let's say we we you know, let's say that I, I was out of work and I uh, which everyone will be eventually if this continues on. So we have to reopen the country. And I found out that I, I had a positive, you know, I had the antibodies for this. All right. Now I could go. I could uh, very reasonably go uh, help out in any number of high-risk COVID situations. I could take a job as somebody, you know, running an essential store. I could take a job uh, helping out if I, if I, if I felt, I have a friend who's at a food bank right now. He just texted me this morning, go do that, you know, do things where you're going to be exposed to people, but they're necessary, but you don't have to worry about getting sick. There are a lot of people out there where that's the case. Whereas right now, you know, I'm, I'm washing my hands all the time. Oh my gosh, washing my hands, washing my hands, covering my mouth, you know, all this, this mania. I could carry more of the load. I could put up a notice in my building here. Hey, guys, anyone who needs me to go get groceries for them, just here's my cell number. You know, if you're if you're if you're scared to go outside because you're high risk population, here's my cell number. And, you know, text me your list and I'll take care of this for you. You know, right now, I, you know, I, I don't want to get COVID-19, right? I don't want to go to the grocery store 10 times a day, but I'm just saying that they would open up so much for us, and the experts are all agreeing that this is important. We need these serology tests ASAP as well as 
test to see if you're actively infected. Okay, so then let's talk phase three. Remember, four phase plan. Phase, and I told you what the trigger is for phase, uh, phase two. Phase two is reopening state by state, and it's going to be piecemeal. Essential workers to slightly less essential workers to slightly less essential workers. You know, this is all, this is all there, okay? This is where we need to be. Um, and in this phase, also, you have the acceleration for the development of therapeutics. And this brings me back to a, a debate that's a bizarre look. The debate over the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine is a very important one because we want to know if this works. I, I want to know if this works because I want every human being who gets infected with this to have a really good shot, not only of, of surviving, of course, that's paramount importance, but also having very minimal disease. I, I don't want to add to the fear out there, but the doctors that I've been speaking to say, you know, the, even if you beat this, meaning, you, you know, you're in recovery, it does real damage to your lungs. And that can take a while to work its way through and there can be scar tissue. And this is, you know, it's not like you get through this and and uh, you're, you're totally fine afterwards. So if we could limit the damage done by the disease too, you know, your lungs, your heart, your brain, these are the things that you need these in the best shape possible, as we all know. Uh, so that's. You know, that, that's where the hydroxychloroquine debate is important in terms of effectiveness. Is this the best place? Should we have more of this? Um, the political ping pong that's going on is just completely insane. And it is a function of people who have lost their minds because of Donald Trump. I mean, it's a function of people who have been so uh, they've been so thoroughly brainwashed with hatred for the president that they can't even put that aside for right now. You know, he, again, the president yesterday at the task force briefing said this about the primary therapeutic currently in use, hydroxychloroquine uh, protocol. Here's what he said, play 11. We got people dying in this country and all over the world right now, not in a couple of years. They're dying. As we speak, there are people dying. And I really think it's a great thing to try, just based on what I know. Again, I'm not a doctor. And I say get a physician's approval. How is this how is this controversial at all? What he's saying is is absolutely accurate, true and the right thing to say, which is if, if you're worried that you're about to die, which anyone who's going into an IC, ICU right now with COVID-19 is clearly concerned about that possibility. If you're worried that you are facing imminent mortality and there's a drug on the market and your doctor who knows your blood work, knows your risk factors, says, hey, do you want to take this? And the doctor says, you know, it's, it might be a good idea. And you take it. Of course, it's a good thing. I saw today. There's some study. They say in France, people are getting headaches and they're reacting badly. So they stop using hydroxychloroquine. Oh, OK, fine. Those doctors decided that it wasn't it wasn't worth the risk factors to try this to try this drug. But I'd be very curious to know, you know, what other doctors who have been using this say that the, I, I refuse to believe that the doctors who are coming forward saying that they've had they've had tremendous results. I, I do not believe that all those doctors are lying. OK, and I've spoken to doctors here in New York City who one doctor in particular who's treating frontline covid patients day in and day out. That's all he's doing. And it's all he's been doing for weeks. And he's not he's not even a pulmo, uh, pulmonologist. He's someone who deals with an, another very important organ in the body. And uh, he's like, look, all, all, our, all of our patients are on this. We're doing the best we can to try to work with this. He says, I, some of them are off ventilators and have gotten better. So did they get better because of the hydroxychloroquine? We don't really know, but we're trying it with everybody. Some people who have been on it have died, but that might have been too late for them. So but this is this is, as I've said, battlefield medicine, right? Think of it like uh, a shell has gone off 
You know, an artillery shell has gone off and there's shrapnel shredding people. And all you're trying to do is just run around as that battlefield medic and, you know, make you know, are, are you are you cleansing all of your tourniquets before you put them on with rubbing alcohol? Are you using only sterile bandages? No. If someone, you know, has as their their guts sticking out and you're worried they're going to bleed out right there. You know, you, you use your hands and you, you take off your belt and you tie it down. And that is the mentality that our doctors now dealing with this COVID-19 crisis have adopted, rightfully so. Everything you can do to save as many lives as possible. Not, oh, is the FDA worried about the side effects of the... So, uh, you know, but, but phase three, back to the reopening plan. Phase three is more of a fo- has a greater focus on developing therapeutics. Now, how successful will that be? Will that part of phase three be? How successful is it? You know, how, how well will they do with these, this research into therapeutics? And we don't know. It's a very big wild card. I mean, vaccine, vaccine one day will be great. We've got to get to a point where we're like, oh, a vaccine will be icing on the cake. But we've effectively got this thing controlled well before then. So all the talk about vaccine, we're not going to have a country left in 18 months if we have to be on if we if we think we're going to be on permanent lockdown, no economy, no economic activity. And also you're going to have large. And I don't say this. I'm not being uh I'm not trying to be glib at all. We'll have large portions of of the country. They'll actually have mental breakdowns. People will go crazy. Um, This is this is reality. You can't tell people to stay in their homes and, you know, no, no job, no wedding, no, you know, no moving ahead in life. No, uh, no seeing friends and family. No, you know, no, you you can't do that. Okay, we're not going to be able to do that. So people that are saying that need to stop saying that because I'm not doing it. Not happening. And then they can try to lock me up, right? I'm, I'm not staying at home for 18 months. Sorry. June, sure. I, I can handle. I'm, I'm looking. Some of you probably. I'm in New York. It's the worst place. June, I can, ha- I can handle home lockdown until June. And then when I say, it's not like June 1st, I'm going to say, woo, let's go hang out with hundreds of people. And like, let's all like, you know, smooch each other on the, on the cheeks. And no, I'm just saying, okay, well, then I'm expecting there to be more activity. I'm expecting there to be more people able to go into the office, more, you know, mitigation measures in place. But that's it's a loosening. There's a false dichotomy that's being set up here. If you're either on total lockdown or just free for all. No, no one's saying that we got to get back to work as soon as we can while having mitigation measures in place and while being safe about this. Right. But there's there's going to be a risk trade off, folks. That's the other. You know, I will say this. Other people won't say this. There's going to be a risk. And they're, they're building this into the, the whole plan. There could be. What is it? Why do you have surveillance? Because you could have new cases. And you could have new cases you wouldn't have otherwise had. New cases means you could have people who get sick who die from this. That's reality. So we, we need to speak to everyone involved in this conversation like an adult. And anybody who wants to say, you just want grandma to die. They we need to get them like help. Because uh, that, that's not what's going on. So phase three is that uh, is that phase that we need to get to where you, ha- you know, you establish protection in place and you have a lifting of all restrictions, you know, and that's where you have also perhaps a vaccine or therapeutic production that knocks this thing out entirely. And then phase four is pre- preparation for the next pandemic, because now we all know this is going to hit us again. Right. Now we all know that this is, I don't mean this virus, I mean there'll be another virus. Something else like this will happen. I'm always very worried about antibiotic-resistant bacteria, but there's, there's other pathogens out there that we have to be very concerned about. And oh, and not, not to add to our anxiety here, but if anybody was curious as to whether bad actors, rogue nations, terrorist groups, 
think that biological warfare is something they might want to put a renewed focus on, trust me, that's going to be happening too. Because yeah, this is not, fortunately, this is not an engineered disease meant to kill as many people as, as possible. You know, this, is, this doesn't have the fatality rates of, say, you know, inhaled anthrax. But anthrax already exists, right? There are things out there. Anyway, there, there are things out there that could be really, really scary. But phase four is, is in this report, preparation for the next pandemic. So we really we're trying to get to phase three. And my friends, you know, I, I don't know when the last time I don't know if I've ever cried tears of joy before. But, you know, the day when it feels like we're finally back to something close to normal when we get into this phase three of the plan where restrictions are lifted. We still have protections in place. We still are very aware of this. We're not going to not be aware of this until there is a straight up cure, which means a vaccine. So this will be in the background, but it will be in the background in a way more similar. Oh, my gosh, he's going to say it to the way that the flu is in the background. The flu causes billions of dollars of lost productivity and people die from the flu every year. And that's still going to be there. And we're going to have this there, too. And this is worse than the flu. And I understand that. But we can if we do all this right, we can get to the place where this is more like our year in and year out battle with the flu. And then we're then we're sustainable as a society. Then we're you know, we've got people. And look, this plan, we need to get in, in my estimation, we, we need to be at phase. Uh, we need to get to phase two by which means, you know, start to relieve some of the mitigation measures. Some of you are going to, you know. State, remember, this is state by state. In New York, we need to be there by June. In other places, I think you're going to be able to get there in May. Maybe New York, they push it to July. New York's the worst hit, so I don't think that I'm recommending, you know, if you're living in, in, in Texas and in Colorado and Florida, I'm not saying oh, Florida's been pretty badly hit too, but it's going to be state by state. We need to start getting more and more places to phase two, keep all this going, and then, you know, we, we need to find a way to get to phase three by the end of the year. That's really, that's how I see it across the board. We need to find a way to get to a new normal of, you know, healthcare capacity in place. And that's assuming we get the, the therapeutics that are really good against this. It's assuming that we've managed to plus up our, our knowledge against this disease, our ability to, to fight it, our healthcare capacity specifically against this. So some things have to go right. I'm not saying we can just get there no matter what, but that needs to, you know, we, we need to be by Christmas time, we need to be phase three, my friends. America needs to be phase three. That's got to be our goal. And we should start talking about that's a goal. That should be the goal. And phase two, which means, you know, a lot less mitigation, everything else in the next 60 to 90 days. That also needs to be the goal. I think that's pretty realistic. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For people who don't know who Mr. Navarro is, he is an ideological soulmate for Donald Trump. He sees the world the way he does. This wasn't the kind of red flag raised in late January from the kinds of people that we know Donald Trump ignores, senior intelligence officials, senior State Department officials, senior experts. This was someone who is as Trumpy as it gets, who wrote a memo, two memos, warning Donald Trump that up to half a million people in this country could die. This is all all over again. It's kind of like the the PDB bin Laden determined to strike in America. You know, you, you knew this was going to happen. They found somebody in the administration who was saying, look, there's, there's a worst case scenario where this gets really bad. And now you're going to have a lot of people say that that Trump didn't pay attention to this. Here, here's another dose of reality that we all need to have. If Trump had tried to get this country 
based on what we were seeing in January, what we're being told by the World Health Organization, China, Dr. Fauci. Remember, we've already had these other SARS, MERS, these other similar situations that turned out it was not really that big a deal. We had the swine flu pandemic, which was a big deal, but it was Obama administration. The media wasn't in hysterics about it. Uh, and, and that passed, right? That passed. Uh, if Trump had tried to imagine this before we really knew before Italy had happened, because Italy is when all of a sudden we said, oh, my gosh, this is. And that was when it happened for me, too. I saw what was going on in Italy. I said, oh, we are in trouble. And then when Trump shut down flights from Europe, I said, OK, I actually deleted a tweet and she put out. I said, oh, my God, we're in a real pandemic. But I was like, all right, let's not panic, Buck. Um, but if Trump had tried to shut down the country before we knew that, they would have said that he was a totalitarian fascist and he was insane. So let's not rewrite history as though we're all a bunch of imbeciles. I know they do that on MSNBC, but some of us are actually intelligent human beings. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We had an election in the middle of the Civil War. We had an election in the middle of pandemic flu back in the turn of the century. We had an election in every major crisis. We can take care of our health and our democracy. The idea of postponing an election is not possible. It should not happen. The democracy has to continue to function. We have to lead. Do you think you won in Wisconsin? Tonight, ordinarily, I'd be hitting you over the head with all these exit polls and cross tabs and things that I know about people all the way down to what they like for lunch. Uh, we're not going to have anything until Monday. What's your gut? No, we're not. Well, my gut uh, is that we shouldn't have had the election in the first place. Oh, so Wisconsin shouldn't have happened, but the election this fall should happen. Okay. And the election this fall should should. I agree that it should happen. That's uh, we, we can't allow, allow that. I, can you imagine just for a moment? Think about what the response would be like if the Trump haters were told, turns out that Trump might be extending his time in office uh, a little bit beyond the first term because uh, they, they would they would come. I, I don't even I can't even really picture. I can't even begin to fathom what that would be like and what that would look like. I, I can't. I don't know. I, it would. Heads explode, millions of heads exploding simultaneously all across the country. It would be a very, very frightening thing. So, yes, we have to have an election uh, in the fall. And I, I also think that we need to bet on America in the sense that we're going to be in a much better place this fall to deal with this than we are now. I'm, I'm an optimist. Look, I when the first bad, real bad news came out about this disease, uh, I, I for me piled a lot of money into what I view as just the, you know, the America stocks. I piled a lot of money into them, you know, the big, big American companies. And and uh, right now that looks like a really foolish move. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, um, but I'm, I wasn't betting on America for three months or six months. I'm betting on America for the next 10 years. I'm betting on America over the long term. And that's not going to change. And you know what? I'll go. I'll I'll, I'll be fighting for the end. No fighting until the end. Come on, Buck. English. Uh, about how I think America's best days are still ahead of it. You know, that's part of our national character. Yes, it's endurance, it's ingenuity, um, it's, uh, you know, love of our fellow American, love of our fellow human being. That's, that's part of our DNA as Americans. It's also optimism, right? We, we fight today for a future we want tomorrow. That's how we roll. That's who we are. That's what we do. So I'm and I, I'm talking about the stock market just as a sense of my uh, where my psychology is on all this stuff. I think we're going to be in three years. We'll be in a great spot. I just don't want us to suffer unnecessarily 
and and horrifically um, from an economic depression for the next 12 months, 24 months, because I do think that that's possible. And I know we're suffering now terribly from this virus, but we we will endure. We will get through Um, that that I'm very confident of as well. So. This uh, possibility of the election being postponed in the fall. No, we, we, that's not where we're going to be. Should they have made people, though? This brings me to yesterday, Wisconsin. Should they have made people uh, stand out in line at Wisconsin you know, polling places when we got a pandemic and it's hit the Detroit area really badly, not too far away from Wisconsin? I don't know what the cases are in Wisconsin, but you know, sh- sh- is that where we should be? You know, is, was that a, a sound thing to do? Well, it turns out. Uh, I mean, Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign today, folks. That's the one of the breaking news items from around lunchtime. So Bernie Sanders uh, has said he's out. So it's Biden. So we're now we're now very clearly in a Biden versus Trump election. And we you know, here's my my theory on this. We don't need to have nothing but a, a Biden Trump horse race jammed down our throats every day between now and Election Day. You know, if we have a slightly condensed election cycle with the amount of, uh, you know, obviously you're not going to have huge rallies. You're not going to. Fine. That's fine. We need to have the election and we need to give people the opportunity. That's and that's what I've been saying all along. That's the referendum on Trump's responsibility here. How did Trump do with covid-19? Let us know this fall. Vote Trump, vote Biden. And that's the way this, that's the beauty of this country. We've got accountability built in the system. That's why Nancy Pelosi saying she's pulling together a, you know, a special committee and they're going to be. ah, Well, that's in part because she wants to try to hurt the administration's ability to respond uh, freely and create the narrative as early as possible that they've done a terrible job. So that's that's part of what we see with with that effort here. Um, but there's there is accountability built into the system. And that's what we're going to see happening with the election this fall. Bernie Sanders is out. A little sad because I was looking forward to being able to do the Bernie Sanders accent every day between now and Election Day when he's giving speeches about how to save everything and be amazing. Um, there'll still be opportunities for the Bernie voice. You know, we, we need to be able to smile a little bit. We need to have some some levity even in these very difficult times. And Bernie certainly provides levity. So I'm, I'm a little bit bummed out that we're not going to have Bernie Sanders to uh, to talk more or to talk about as much as we would. I'm just going to have to work on my Joe Biden. You know, there's the Civil War and, you know, and, and back in, uh, you know, 1600s and the 1800s. And then the, you know, then we had, uh, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and then we, you know, democracy and the, the you know, I'm just going to try to follow what Biden's saying. Uh, that's that's the hop on that Biden train and see how far it goes. Right. That, that's what we're all going to be doing. OK, this is what the Democrats offer as the alternative. Three hundred and thirty million people in America. The best the best choice they can come up with to lead the country other than Donald Trump is Joe Biden. They're they're they're, they're going to have nobody to blame but themselves if he loses. I can tell you that. Maybe look, maybe he pulls it off. He's got a lot of support in the Democratic Party. He's really and he really has just been able to coast on the favorability of Obama and Obamaism, uh, that's that's what he offers. You know, I was the VP for Obama for eight years. You want to go back to that? Vote for me. That's it. And Trump is horrible and he's, you know, a fascist, whatever they're going to say, you know, a sexist, a fascist, a traitor, all the usual stuff. 
do we think that Joe Biden really has any vision for the country that he's going to he's going to be better for the country than, than Donald Trump? No, but that's not going to matter. They're just going to go with the talking points. One thing that is going to be interesting, however, is we're, we're going to have an election this fall. And anyone who says otherwise, I think is I think they're uh, they're mistaken. But what is that going to look like logistically? Uh, there are people who are talking a lot now about mail in ballots. And if you're going to talk mail-in ballots, you know, there's also going to be more discussion about online voting, which has been talked about in the past. Now, I'll say this. The problem with doing and a mail-in ballots, obviously different physical ballot that you're sending. But clearly, there is a lot of room for shenanigans with mail-in ballots online. Now you're just opening yourself up to I mean, there, there's a, a, a I would say a, a certainty that if the United States in the current situation tried to hold online voting, which I don't know if this is going to get any traction or not. People have talked about it, but online voting, if we tried that someone somewhere, whether it's a government or an individual or a hacker collective, they're going to try to mess with us. And then you'll have a version of what the liberals were, you know, the real version of what the liberals were talking about all the time, which was, you know, interfering in the election, interference in the actual votes, and, and that'll be real, whether they're able to do it or not, but at least there'll have been an, an effort to break into systems and mess with us, and people are going to say that that makes the election less, you know, we have less confidence in it. So I, so I don't think you're going to get online voting because someone's going to try to hack it, and we all know that. All right, what about mail-in ballots? Well, here's the president on that one, and you can imagine what he thinks. Play 20. It was 15 minutes after I put out an endorsement that they said we have to move the election. They didn't want to move the election before that. The other thing they want to do, which is crazy, at the end of the election, they wanted to have one week for proxies to come in or mail ballots. Now, mail ballots, they cheat, okay? People cheat. Mail ballots are a very dangerous thing for this country because they're cheaters. They go and collect them. They're fraudulent in many cases. You got to vote. And they should have voter ID, by the way. You want to really do it right. You have voter ID. Yep. There will be cheating if we have mail-in ballots. We know that. that is, how, would you, how would you be able to stop that? Who are you going to hold accountable? Or what are we going to do? Contact, uh, contact tracing for the DNA on every ballot that's mailed in that somebody will... There's, there's, no, there's no way. And keep in mind that this, this uh, election, this election is likely to be determined by, in aggregate... A few hundred thousand votes spread over about a half a dozen states. That's the likely scenario. Now, look, a lot can change. Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee. Turns out he's not the nominee, right? So a lot of things can change between now and then. But, you know, it wouldn't take a whole lot to skew the outcome. And it'd be very hard. And you can imagine if you open up the door to one side cheating, even if you, even if you caught some cheating, then there'd be a claim that you're trying to steal the election from the will of the actual voters. And it would just be a total mess. Oh, and let's let's just let's go on the record right now. If Trump wins reelection, Democrats will say they'll, they'll say that he cheated and he's illegitimate. I, I don't care. It doesn't matter what the actual vote tally is. Doesn't matter what the polls say right before. Doesn't matter what the exit polls say. If Trump wins reelection. You're going to have a large number of. Not like day-to-day Democrat voters necessarily, but you're going to have Democrat media and people in the in the thought leader class, you know, politicians and otherwise, who are going to say that Trump cheated. They're going to say it. They're going to say it. I, I'm just trying to think right now of what the 
And isn't it interesting that, that you could, that at least I have that level of confidence about something that's, that, that absolutely should not, I should not be able to see it and be like, oh yeah, they're going to say he's a cheater. But we know they are, right? We understand that that's what's going to happen. So they said it the last time and they were wrong and it was absurd, but they're going to do it. They're going to do it this time. Um, but Bernie Sanders, just uh, going back to that for a second, uh, the, the Democrat establishment managed, look, they managed to keep a, an establishment candidate ahead of Bernie in two elections now where the enthusiasm, the trajectory of the base, the left wing base, they, they were really with Bernie. But the establishment is a very powerful thing. It's true in media. It's true in politics. Uh, they still have a lot of legacy control of things. And that that was certainly utilized, and in my opinion, certainly utilized to uh, the benefit of Bernie's opponents, both in 2016 with Hillary Clinton and now in 2020 with Joe Biden. So looks like they're not going to run a Democratic Socialist this election. But how different really are Biden's primary policy goals from from Bernie Sanders. I just think that that Sanders might be a little more open, a little more honest about what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, But I I don't think that that Biden is going to put us in in much better shape. It's going to be Biden over Bernie. I'm I'm always honest with you. Biden would be a better thing for America than Bernie Sanders as president. Um, Although, I mean, they're both too old. They're both lacking in a lot of the skill set that I think you would need to be a successful president. But, you know, this is a this is going to be an interesting election. It's going to be a close election. Now, that's a that's a prediction that I'm, I'm confident in right now. It's going to be a close election in the overall vote total uh, for sure. In fact, Democrats will probably win the popular vote again. But I think Trump's I think Trump's still going to win the election again. If Trump, I'll say this, if what I was talking about before with the pathway to reopening America, if we get there where most of America is in. Well, let's say, you know, most of America is in some is in phase three by the fall, meaning that you have very little uh, social, you know, very little mandated social distancing, very little mandated closures, still mitigation measures in place, still all the plus up health care capacity and protecting. And this would really only be possible if we get some great therapeutics. That's the big X factor here. Um, but if we get there and the economy is even just just going upwards, I'm very confident that Donald Trump will win re-election, you know, but it, it looked it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. And as we know, think about where we were three months ago, you know, going into the Christmas season. I was sitting here. I was basically saying, all right, everybody, America, let's do victory dance. Trump is crushing all of his enemies. This impeachment's going nowhere. The economy's fantastic. Look at how quickly things can change. I do take some some solace from the fact that if they could change so rapidly for the negative, it has to be possible that there can be a dramatic shift toward the positive. I don't know when it will be, but I'm confident, it's a word I'm using a lot today, that it'll be sooner than many of us are thinking right now is possible, and certainly sooner than it felt possible a couple of weeks ago. So uh, optimism, baby. American is apple pie. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Anybody can tell people what they want to hear and make it easy. And then you know what you get? Exactly where we are right now. That was the most asinine statement of leadership I have ever heard. And I can't even dismiss it on the president having 102 fever like I do. 
because that is clear thinking from him. I'm a cheerleader, so I'm going to lie to you about the realities that your parents, your loved ones, and your kids face. I'm not going to prepare the way I should because it reinforces the bull I'm telling you, and I'm going to hope that you're okay with it. We've got to do better than that. This president must do better than that. The good news is he can. The bad news is he refuses to. And that I have no answer for. <sighs> you know, blame Trump. That is the playbook. That is what we're going to be told. That's what we're going to be hearing. Blame Trump. He, he was uh, derelict in his duty. He, he did not do what was necessary. He, for people who, who hate him, this has been, you know, I, I just gave you what I think is a, a, a fair-minded and realistic view of what the future can look like for this country. Or you can listen to other, I mean, the, and these people all have very big TV, legacy TV platforms uh, that, you know, they, some of them even think they should have podcasts, which I think is hilarious. You're, you're going to listen to like Mika Brzezinski or, or uh, Cuomo on a podcast, but uh, you have, for example, Mika Brzezinski saying stuff, I just brought her up saying stuff like this, play clip eight. The only number that really, really does matter as, as this goes on, and that number keeps climbing, every minute the president speaks, somebody dies. The number of people who have died from this, the records that we are breaking are not records that, that we want to be breaking as a country right now. And the death toll is really what's going to come back. Uh, and and face this president with the facts well, about well, how he conducted himself in the beginning of this well, pandemic. Every minute that Mika Brzezinski is speaking, people are dying, too. I mean, we could all we could all say this. This is not not worthwhile. This is not a uh, you know, this is not something that we need to be hearing right now. You know, the, the media doesn't like to doesn't like to try to encourage and and. Uh, and steal the courage of the American people right now because Trump is the president. And I, and I think that it's really unfortunate and really, dis, really pretty disgusting that I'm very confident that if we had a Democrat in office, that the tone from 90 percent of the media about what's going on. Yeah, the death toll would be the death toll. We, we don't need people to explain to us how terrible it is, it is that people are dying in hospitals right now and people are losing loved ones. We all know that. Um, and. That's that's one component of what we need to know every day. We also need to know what is our future? What does it look like? And how do we stay uh, focused and uh, and hopeful about what that future will be? And the, the, because of political reasons, we get a very, very negative view from a majority of the media. Not I'm not talking about today. Today it is negative. Today things are bad. OK, we're in a depression and people are dying. It's bad. But we're going to get out of it and we're going to work together. We're going to find that better future as a country. And I just wish that we could have a little bit more of a, you know, put on your helmet and grab your own 16. We're going to war with this virus and we're going to win a little bit of that from the media would be helpful instead of what we're seeing. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Time for roll call, my friends. Thank you, as always, for writing in, sharing your thoughts. We appreciate it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton to send us messages at Buck Sexton on Instagram. You can send messages there, too. And then the old school method, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. That is our email address. Would love to hear more. I really appreciate the updates from all over the country. Just what, what's your life like? What are you seeing? What's quarantine like for you? Are you going about your job? Have you lost your job? I want to hear from small business owners out there listening to this 
who have had to furlough or fire employees. I want to hear what's going on. I want to know. I rely on all of you. I have hundreds of thousands of Team Buck listeners all across the country. And I want to know what you're seeing. It makes me better at my job. So please don't be shy. Tell me what's going on. You know, and if you're really affected by this on the economic front, I need to hear that. If you you or someone you know has COVID-19 and has gotten through it or is battling through it right now, if you're willing to share some of your story, we really appreciate that, too. But you are my eyes and ears in the rest of the country. You are what allows me to project a narrative about what's really happening, what's really meaningful in America to America, because I get to hear from all of you. So I I need you guys to tell me what you're seeing and what's going on from your point of view. Um, And with that now, we'll get into some of that with our roll call. Um, Let's see here. Uh, We have Brandy writes, hey, Buck, been listening to you for years and got my hubby listening regularly as well. Just found out in Washington State that our kids won't be going back to school this year. Our oldest is a senior and leaving a week after he was supposed to graduate to U.S. Marine Corps boot camp in San Diego following in dad's footsteps. We may not get to see him graduate from there either. I don't know what to believe about all that's going on right now. My heart aches for all the seniors and all they're missing out on. But I appreciate the way you help put this into clear perspective daily. Thank you for being you. Shields high. Well, Brandy, thank you so much for writing in. Um, Yeah, look, we're all trying to make sense of this, and we're often relying on imperfect information, imperfect data. We're doing what we can, but it's uh, it's certainly it's a challenge because there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of people that I think are not approaching this from the perspective of what's best for everyone, but what's best for themselves, Uh, what's best for their position in society, their power, their pocketbook. It's all too easy for those who are sitting at home, you know, working on a laptop and taking some Zoom calls, you know, these teleconference calls throughout the day and still getting a paycheck right now to say, stay at home, everybody, as long as it takes. Well, one, they all work for companies that, generally speaking, are going to have much less economic growth and revenue and therefore they're going to have to cut jobs eventually, too, which I don't think some of them have really figured out. But also they're, they're being pretty. There are a lot of people who have big followings and have a big voice in this discussion, who I think are being uh, tone deaf about the suffering out there from people who aren't able to live. They're not able to live their life. We're not able to live our lives normally at all right now. Okay, we are all under house arrest with the situation we are going through. There are people who break the law and their punishment is basically what most of the country is doing to themselves right now. So that's that's not normal. That's not okay. It's an extreme only situation uh, in the extremes. So it's going to be tough for us. But I thank you for, for tuning in. And uh, I also thanks for getting your, your hubs to listen in. We love we want Team Buck families. We want I don't just want one person from your family listening. I want I want the husband, the wife. I want the kids, the grandparents. And listen separately. The crazy uncle. Yes. Download download it on every device you have. On all the devices you have. And download and listen separately so that, you know, if you really like a section, you can stop, pause, go get yourself a sandwich. You don't want, you know, you don't want pops controlling your Buck Sexton show speed. You know, you want to listen to it on your your own time. Right, Producer Mark? Of course. And listen many times, but re-download it. Yes. All very, all very good things. Producer Mark is a capitalist, you see. Dan, you raise very big and important points. 
A prolonged period of everyone staying inside and some people working from home is not sustainable for more than a few months. Not only will people get stir crazy, but you'll have a mental health crisis like never before. And that's not the worst. Our economy can't hold on for more than a few months like this. We're talking a bigger collapse in the Great Depression. And then we uh, then we know that will lead to catastrophic situations. We're going to have to come to some kind of micromanagement of this and get back to a new normal while health experts find a solution. Uh, Dan, yeah, I, I, I think we're totally aligned on this one. Uh, what's what needs to happen, what the vision is, what the risks are. I mean, Mark, how Mark, how many months do you think before, that we could do lockdown like this before things would get really, really scary? I'm just I mean, no one knows. But what's what's your estimate? I mean, I'm going a little crazy already. Obviously, I'm of sane mind and not going to go, you know, trash a department store just for fun because I'm going crazy. But you never know. I mean, there's been riots throughout history. So I feel like if this gets any worse. Maybe a couple more months. I think I agree with you. June, July, yeah, maybe. But any farther than that, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you're going to have beautiful weather across the country. People being told, told, don't go outside. It's not going to. It's not going to fly. It's just not going to work. It's not going to work. And I know there'll be a drop off in cases naturally, as there is with the flu as well. Any respiratory disease drops off through the summer months, but we'll have to see. Um, yeah, no, we we have limited time for these extreme measures. Michael Buck, don't know if you did a segment on this already, but your pals over at the Hill Rising got the firing of the aircraft carrier all wrong, in my opinion, disseminating the operational readiness of a U.S. carrier on unsecured channels outside the chain of command is a major violation. If it was an enlisted man who did this, they would probably be sent to the brig after their captain's mast, especially during a time of crisis. That kind of information is highly classified. Shields high. Yeah, Michael, I, I've, I think I've talked about this other side of the equation on this show. It might have been on the WOR show. Um, but if you uh, which is the New York, a New York station where I'm also doing a radio show. Um, yeah, I, I can understand why it was a violation. I think now the acting Navy secretary has resigned because he called Captain Crozier stupid. So there's just been a whole bunch of things that have happened here that, you know, that this situation clearly got uh, a little more out of control than anybody was anticipating and has had certainly more more consequences than anybody had been imagining. Uh, so, yeah, you, look, you, you do have to maintain classified protocols. And if you don't, there will be there are consequences for that. He did go outside the chain of command, but ultimately it did seem like this was all driven by his desire to protect the health and safety of his troops and the troops are, are and in this case, the, the sailors. Um, I think there are Marines on the ship as well, but the, the sailors and Marines are very appreciative of that. I think they appreciate people uh, in leadership positions who are worried about their health. And I can understand that. So, look, there's some complexity here. There's some complexity. Andrew Buck, for the last couple of weeks, I've been puzzled at the national response to the coronavirus. I fully understand that New York, among other areas, are particularly hard hit. Uh, whereas I live in eastern Washington state, you advocated that there shouldn't be a one size all one size fits all policy in regard to shutdowns. I agree. And it seems that should be a logical conclusion to come to, especially for our logical president. My suspicion is that the intelligence committee knows that this is indeed an engineered virus. And that is the reason we are reacting so profoundly. Love to know your thoughts. Praying for your safety in the city. Shields high, brother. Well, uh, we agree on the and Andrew, thank you for writing in. We certainly agree on uh, one size fits all policy is probably not a good idea. There will there's an argument to be made that the one size fits all policy for 30 days is necessary in this extreme circumstance. But it's definitely not a good idea going forward beyond that. And 
as for whether this is engineered, I, I spoke to an infectious disease specialist. Guy's been doing this for decades, and he said, "Nah, the the it, the spread of this is is similar to what you'd want for a weaponized disease, but the mortality of it, if you were creating a weapon, you wouldn't create a weapon that would kill one percent of the people that it infected. Right? That doesn't that doesn't make sense." Um, well, maybe people would argue that the whole point is the economic damage, which is what we're doing to ourselves, and that it not being quite as, as high a lethality allows greater plausible deniability. I don't know. But to me, it seems like if you're going to weaponize something, you'd have a higher, you know, you'd have a 20 or 30 percent mortality rate if you could get it there. Um, but, you know, the higher mortality rate, the less the spread usually, too. So that's the there. There are different moving parts of this. And oh, it's just it's psychologically uncomfortable to even think about bioweapons. I mean, what, what a horrific thing. Uh, people are always scared of nuclear weapons. I think in a lot of ways, biological weapons are the scariest things that exist or that, or that could exist. Uh, but no, I do not think this virus was engineered. I do think it perhaps was under study in a lab in China and they lost control of it. I do think that's very possible. In fact, I'll just say it's very possible in my mind. Dennis, do you still sell Freedom Hut t-shirts? Dennis, I don't know. I don't think we have the... Mark, do we have that up on BuckSaxon.com? No, it is not up on the new BuckSaxon.com, but that's certainly something we'd like to do. I'd like to do that. It'd be fun. I think, I think we could get that done. So we just need to find someone to process those orders and get it done. And, uh, you know, right now, unfortunately, is a tough time for obvious reasons to expand any business partnerships or ventures. So I don't know if it's going to be a near-term thing, but I am hopeful that soon we will be able to, uh, that will happen soon. That's all. Top of the list once we get back to the studio. Yeah, because I want, I mean, do you, you think if I have the option to make producer Mark wear a Team Buck or a Commie Bear t-shirt all day, all the time, you don't think that I want that, guys? It'd be amazing. Will right? you get uh, t-shirts with your face on it? Exactly. We'll get, mm -hmm. we'll get Truth, Liberty, and Great Hair t-shirts made, which some in Team Buck did on their own back in the day. They had their own uh, T-shirts that they were they were sending around, and I actually got one. It was it was amazing. But we could make producer Mark wear a big picture of my face all day on his chest. It'd be fun. Yeah, I would just have five T-shirts that I would wash every week and wear one each day. There we go. Yeah. See, that's right. So uh, we're we're working on that, Dennis. I can't promise that anytime soon, but it's certainly something that down the line we would like to do. Uh, Sam, I always trust your analysis. Why does it appear that Wuhan virus has not hit Russia or North Korea? Uh, Sam, it definitely, oh, I'm sorry. We just don't, North Korea, uh, we don't know anything about whether this virus, I mean, North Korea has got people starving under normal circumstances. I mean, there's so much that goes on that we have no visibility into. So I think that's all we, we just, we can't know. I will say that the hermit kingdom is so closed off from the rest of the world. They may not be getting hit as hard as I say, South Korea is because there's so much less international travel. But North Korea does obviously share a, you know, it, it's a, the peninsula connects to China. And there's the only real business, the only real day to day business they're doing is with the Chinese. And so you'd think that there would be crossover that way. We just don't we just don't have numbers. I mean, if you think that if you think the Chinese are able to lie about cases and numbers, the North Koreans shameless. I mean, you know, North Koreans, will, it doesn't matter. You could have. Three million North Koreans die from COVID-19 and their state propaganda would just be like, oh, nope, we're wonderful. And we're our, our our dear leader is, you know, saving us all. And it's fine. And, you know, it's you can't overstate the degree of the lies there. Russia, 
I think Russia's starting to get hit right now, but I'd have to look into that. I'm not I'm actually not up on the Russia situation. I've been paying more attention to Sweden and the experiment that they're running. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call here. Todd. Hello, Buck and producer Mark. I like how I like if you ever notice, Mark, that you have a title. You're producer Mark. I'm just Buck. Yeah. Well, what do, what do you want them to call you other than Buck? I don't know. How about Space Lord Super Ninja? Got it. So I will make sure that all the emails are titled to Space Lord Super Ninja Buck from now on. Otherwise, they're not getting on the air. So no more roll call, everybody. No. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Let me think. <laughs> let me think about this one a little bit. Let me think about this one. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, it's like you're like you're like the colonel and I'm just like a guy that's showing up with a rifle. But that's all right. Anyway, well, well you're the host. You're the you're the yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy know, in charge, no, calling the me a host. Show. Calling me a host buck would sound like, um, you know, carrying a disease around. So that's exactly. not good. First off, happy belated birthday, Mark. I just finished Friday's podcast. I'm sending my best wishes to you. I want you to both know that the Freedom Bunker is open for you and your significant others here in central Nebraska. We have well water, lots of beef, and not a lot of people. Uh, We might have to get the GPS location on this one, Mark. Just saying. I'll get right on it. Thank you. I'm building a fire pit in my backyard right now, looking forward to a beautiful summer night, sitting around it with my friends, having a few cold ones with our hot-off-the-grill steaks, playing guitars and looking at the stars. Probably will listen to the Buck Sexton Show. Wow, that sounds amazing. Sign me up for all of it. I hope you're both doing well and staying sane. Well, you know... Mark keeps me sane, and I try to keep Mark sane, so we're, we're working on it. I'm going to get caught up on yesterday and today's show now as I work on the fire pit. P.S. I'm very excited to learn about the Siege of Malta from you. Well, thank you, Todd, and I'm, I'm excited to do that show for all of you, the Siege of Malta show, which is going to be... Uh, it's, uh, I, I've, in the past, I've scripted out history shows. This time, I think it's going to be a little bit more... I think I'm just going to, to talk to you guys about it. It's just going to be me having a conversation with you about the Siege of Malta. All the facts and figures will be accurate. I'll, I'll have a stat sheet in front of me, and, and I'll walk you through the, what I think is one of the most incredible battles of, that, of the 16th century, that, that period of history. Um, and uh, if you like it, and if we get enough people sharing it, and if the podcast numbers uh, are, are strong, we'll do another one, and then we'll do another one, and we'll do other shows. So this will be our opportunity going forward to do more content for you that is not... COVID-19, COVID-19, COVID-19. And that's really what, you know, we all need this. And look, I, I need projects to work on that aren't just diving into the numbers and the IHME and all this stuff. So, yeah, I hope you like Siege of Malta. It's coming. My plan is to record it this weekend. Don't hold the gun to my head over that, but my plan is to record it this weekend and hopefully have it out for you by next week. Uh, Gianna. Hello again, Buck. I heard you talking about Whole Foods. We call it a whole paycheck and your love of bougie meat. Please find a good butcher. We have one right around the corner, and except for the occasional pound of Walmart burger, we get all our meat there. A good one will carry everything, seafood, beef, pork, whatever your bougie palate desires, shields high. Yeah, I, I would love to. I don't think there is a butcher in my neighborhood. I have not seen one. So I, I would love to support a small business like that, a butcher that really knows his meat. And uh, I, as you guys know, I, I celebrate and love eating red meat. I love cooking it. I love eating it. I try to learn more and more about it. So, um, yeah. Did I ever ask you, Producer Mark, what is your favorite steak? Yeah, you have asked me. Ribeye. Ribeye, right? You're, yeah. you're like me. You're a ribeye guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Dr. Gorka and I uh, once had a back and forth on Twitter. He, he's a porterhouse guy. And look, Gorka, I like Gorka. He's a man of, of distingu- he's a distinguished man and a man of sophistication. I, I just feel like the porterhouse can't really stack up to the ribeye, but, you know, Gorka's a porterhouse, man, so, you know, to each his own. 
But Buck, the ribeye is not as delicious as the porterhouse. I love it. He does a great job on some of those uh, the commercials and stuff that he does. I don't know. I, I think I think Dr. G is a fun fun dude. He's a good man. Uh, all right, we're going to close out the show today, but we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be with you here every day. Team, you are the best. Please pass the buck. Tell folks to listen. And uh, if you can, if you're listening on any of our affiliates, you know, send an email into your, uh, your station and say you enjoy the Buck Sexton show. That helps us a lot, too. You know, spread the word if you think we're doing a good job. And with that, please keep yourself sane. Keep yourself safe. Back with you tomorrow. As always, Shields High.